Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we come to uh, a Father, a Father in heaven who is uh, far greater than even the, the, the best of fathers in this life. We thank you that your word tells us in Psalm 66 that uh, you're the Father to the fatherless, the defender of the widow, the one who sets the lonely in families, and this is who you are. We thank you that we will never lack for a father in this life and in the life to come. We thank you that not only are you just a father, but you are the great God, the one who we sing about, how great is our God. The nations, the islands, the people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language will one day declare the greatness of you and you allow us to be adopted into your family, that we can call you father, that you know our name that you see each tear that falls. You know every thought within our minds. And when we call to you, you hear us. We thank you that this is our great blessing and our privilege that you hear us. We pray that you would meet us, each of us, wherever we are, and that you would help us to see you be the lifter of our heads, be the lifter of our souls, be the lifter of our countenance that we might experience you in greater glory today. We thank you that your call in our lives live out the hope of Christ. That hope is tested in life and in death, but it's proven faithful time and time again in both life and in death that you and your gospel, your good news, our faith in Jesus is big enough to encompass even the most difficult of circumstances in this life. And so we thank you that we are confident, we can rest secure, that we can take heart for Jesus. You have overcome the world. Father, that's a message that's so desperately needed in this world, in the world at large, in our nation, as well in the lives of individuals that we know. And so, Father, help us to live out the message that we proclaim, to live out the message that we sing of, that we would embody that so that others would see lived out through us the living hope of Christ, and that you would help us to not merely sing, but, Lord, take us out into the world. Thank you for our missionaries. Thank you for friends who serve you faithfully in China, North Korea, and college campuses throughout the world. We thank you for your missionaries that are serving in places like Cameroon and Spain and places like Vietnam and Taiwan and places like Jordan and Turkey and China, uh, in Japan. We thank you for ministers who are serving you in, in, in Thailand, in Myanmar, in Kyrgyzstan, and so many different places where we get to be a part of the work of God and the mission of God. Lord, we pray that our prayers would avail much for such people and that you would use our lives and you would use our prayers and you would use our giving in order that the hope of Christ be seen in the lives of so many people. We thank you for um, the work you're doing in Ecuador and beyond in Nicaragua and other places where uh, our partnerships are. We ask, Father, that you would give us a burning heart for those who've experienced the comfort and the hope of the gospel, that it would compel us by the love of Christ to share this hope with others. We pray that as we hear your word, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church, that you'd open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, and that good news for us would be good news for the world. Be with me, please, my gracious master and my God. Assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. We thank you, we love you, we need you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.
last night I was uh, sitting at home on my, uh, on my sofa, and uh, my family came in, and uh, we had a couple guests in town. Our, my brother-in-law, Pastor uh, Justin, his family came in, and, and uh, I was typing on my computer, and they said, are you ready for uh, your Sunday message? And I said, I think I'm almost ready. Uh, I, just need, I just need an introduction. And my uh, eight-year-old Elijah said, why do you need an introduction? Just say hi and start. <laughs> so... Uh, with that said, hello, I'm going to start. <laughs> Why don't we, um, hey, for those of you who are uh, worshiping online with us, thank you so much for being with us. For those of you who are here in, in person, uh, welcome, welcome in, for, uh, and thank you for being the church and bringing it in here. Um, can you just take a minute to look to someone next to you and say hello? And if you're um, worshiping online, can you just chat hello, uh, a, a greeting, a wish, uh, something, a prayer for uh, those who are uh, worshiping alongside with you. You can, you can say hello. Yeah, I know can't see mouths moving, but um, it's good to, good to be together and to be the church. Uh, we're uh, in this kind of series of conversations here called um, The Elephant in the Room and The Elephant in, in, the, in the Bible. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about um, the reality of uh, the brokenness within our world and its manifest and the, the dam has busted open and uh, we've been talking about racial injustice and the inequalities in our world and, and how racism has again reared its ugly head and continues to do that. And what God requires and mandates of us is not for us to just sit back and, and do nothing as we are often want to do, but he calls us to, and he's shown us what he wants us to do, uh, to uh, act justly, to love mercy, and to humbly walk with our God as we do these things. Um, last week, we talked about an, an, a huge elephant in our room, which was the passing of uh, and the calling to be home with uh, our Father in heaven of our dear uh, servant and, and friend and brother James Ye, and we talked about his life, and, and if he could speak to us uh, as we run this race, like what would he say to us? And what I want to do today is I, I want to circle back because I think it's important that we talk about um, the things that are happening within our world, because I don't believe that injustice is something that is just a one-time thing or a one-sermon thing or a 45-minute deal, and then we get it into us, and then, okay, let's go on and move on, and hopefully this will die down. As you have recognized on your social media feeds, this is not dying down. That's one of the reasons why I need to circle back to this, but the second reason why is because I know that there's a desire in your hearts to do something about this. Um, and, and maybe it's, a, it's an internal pressure from, like, I, I can't sit still any longer. Maybe it's a pressure from your social media feeds that are telling you every one of my friends is saying something, hashtag this or hashtag that, and I got to do something. Maybe it's this, 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 this sense of, I don't want to be left behind. I don't know what it is, but what I want to do is I want to underpin and just kind of nail down what you do in a biblical framework to let you know that that desire is good and right and true, but it's not a desire to be a social activist alone. That's not what I'm talking about here, nor is it a desire merely for social justice. That desire to act must be undergirded by a gospel-driven biblical vision of justice. What I want to talk about is to say why this matters to God, why this ought to matter to us as a matter of biblical justice and what that looks like for us. And so I'm going to talk from the Word of God, but here we've been seeing a couple weeks ago that the prophets were an angry group of people 
but they were angry because they reflected the heart of God, and God's heart was angry. About what? That they were not tithing enough, that they were not worshiping on time, that they were not giving their best worship. It wasn't about those things. The reason God was angry time and again throughout the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, all of these different people, Micah, Nahum, Jonah, all these folks was because they ignored the heart of God for the in for the uh, injustices that they were seeing in their world, that they saw those injustices and they turned a blind eye because they're just going to go and worship God. And God said, I don't want your worship if it's not connected to a life that seeks to make right that which is wrong in this world, that you can see it and do nothing about it and come in to worship me. That's not acceptable in the eyes of God. In other words, don't just let worship and praise be your embrace. He says, let justice and praise become your embrace to love me from the inside, in here, out. He said, that's what it means. And the heartbeat of God seen throughout the prophets is the same. It's for us living lives of truth and justice to correct that which is wrong in this world and to not wait until we get up into heaven, but to bring heaven onto earth. That's the call of God for us. But what I want to do today is say, that's not just oops, that's kind of added in in the middle of the, of the Old Testament, but I want to take it back even further to show that from the foundations of the world, this is God's desire. And what's happening in our world has implications for us as the people of God, and it has from the very foundation of time. Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26 through 28 uh, for our first thought, and then our second thought, we're going to jump a couple chapters forward to Genesis chapter 4 and read a few verses from there. But what I want to do is I want to frame what's happening in our world today, the, de- the, the, the murder of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, all these, the, 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 I mean, so many of them, um, but, to, but to undergird all that with what is, what is God's heart in seeing these things? And I, maybe you're getting tired of hearing these things. Maybe you're getting weary uh, of hearing these things. That's okay. Let's let it be uncomfortable. As someone said, it's tired for us to hear about it. It's tired for countless others to experience this generation after generation after generation. And so where we have been silent or we have been complicit in humble repentance and a desire to learn and to right which is wrong within our own hearts, we come to the Word of God today. This is Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female He created them, God blessed them, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is God's word. Two thoughts we're going to look at from Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 4. Very simple. If you have email, um, the bulletin should have been emailed to you if you're on our, on our email groups. But the first thought, very simple. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. But not everyone sees it. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in God's sight. 
but not everybody sees that. You know, we know that in this world in which we live, labels are important. Labels are important for getting food, right? Sometimes I, I'm sent on a mission to the grocery store, to Publix, to buy eggs. Okay, uh, but make sure you get grade A large eggs. Make sure you get the organic eggs. Make sure you get the cage-free eggs. Make sure you get the farm-fresh eggs. Make sure you get those. The labels are important because it tells us who made it, where it's from, how it's valued, and how we ought to treat it, right? That's what labels do. It's important for a coffee. Make sure it's fair trade coffee. It's got to come single origin or whatever it is. You've got to make sure it's the right thing. You've got to read the label because labels are important because if you read the label incorrectly, you might place a wrong value or worth on it. It's true of clothing, too. I asked some of our youth, uh, youth sisters today, what's, what's the best clothing brand for uh, teenage girls today? And they said, oh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is now, but at least for shoes, Nike, right? If you have the Nike label, you know Nike made it. Where is it made? It's made in... in so we look for things these days. Hey, our economy is struggling, so we've got to buy Made in America. Look at the label. You've got to think about who made it. If Gucci made it, it's a lot better than if, I don't know, someone else made it. If Chanel made it, if Louis Vuitton made it, it's a lot more expensive. It's a lot more worthy. We have to read the labels because it tells us who made it tells us where it's from, tells us its worth, and it tells us how, we're ought to take, how we ought to take care of it. You read the back of a shirt and it says dry clean only or hand wash only or tumble dry only. It tells you a little bit about the nature of that product and how we're supposed to care for it. When God made human beings, every single one of us, red and yellow, black and white, it tells us that we were made in heaven made by God, made in His image, and it tells us how we ought to care for and treat one another. This phrase is important. So God created man in His own image. In His image, this is the, the Latin word is imago, the image of, or the image day of God, the image of God, imago day in every person. So if you look around, every person that you see Okay, no matter who they are, no matter what color skin they have, no matter how big or tall, how intelligent, whatever their occupation, whatever their vocation, whatever their past, whatever their future, you have never put your eyes on another human being who's not made in the image of God. In other words, when God looks at that person, he looks at them with delight and says, that person looks like me. No matter their physical limitations, no matter their disabilities, no matter their talents or lack thereof in your mind, the label placed on every human being is that this person is made imago day in the image of God. You look underneath their foot as, as that little cowboy in, in Toy Story and it says, God made me. Made in heaven with care and with love. This, this, this language of in the image of God it may, maybe it means something to you, maybe it doesn't, but to the people that Moses was writing had a very specific and particular meaning because in the creation accounts of Scripture, which tells us how the world was made, it's mimicked by other ancient Near Eastern cultures. There was a Babylonian creation myth that says, here's how, according to the Babylonian ancient Near Eastern tradition, this is how the world was made. There were a bunch of gods, okay, a bunch of gods, and they made the world and then they were tired, and they rested. 
Now, these bunch of different gods were lazy, and they didn't want to feed themselves, and so that's why they created human beings to be servants to the gods, to bring them the ambrosia and nectar and the food because the gods were lazy. People were only created to serve the gods. That was their view. That's why Babylon had no problem enslaving other nations, including Israel, because they're just a bunch of slaves meant to serve the purposes of the Babylonian deities. Now, understand this. You, when Israel is getting this word from Moses, okay, when he's writing, the people of God are slaves also in Egypt. And in their mind, it was justified because the one person, the only person on the, in the world who could call themselves someone made in the image of God was Pharaoh. They saw Pharaoh as the son of the gods. He was the one descended from the gods of Egypt. He is made in the image of God. Therefore, if Pharaoh oppresses us, that's completely justified in our minds because we're nothing but slaves. He is the only one made in the image of God. So when Moses is told by God, you go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, undoubtedly Moses is fearful because he says, who am I of stuttering lips to go and talk to the one made in the image of God? And what God is saying, Moses, you don't understand who you are, nor do you understand who your people are. You got to read the label. And he says, here the people of God, you, a nation of slaves, as you hear this, understand that every single one of you is made in the image of God, and you do not deserve to be treated in this way. Therefore, Moses, you rise up and say, in the name of my God, let my people go. Because every single person born in this world is made in the image of God. That tells us who made us. It tells us where we're from. It tells us how we ought to be treated. The image of God. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. It's why, at least in name, in word, our founding fathers could say, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they've been endowed with our creator by, with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But in our world, it doesn't seem to be that self-evident, at least not today, at least not when the knee of a police officer is choking the life out of a man. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that certain people are inherently better than others. That might be the prevailing narrative in our nation. What happened? How did we get this way? Genesis 3 would tell us, well, when the center of gravity shifted from God to ourselves, the image of God became marred in our eyes, and we became the center. And so instead of saying, we are people made in the image of God, there became two groups of people, and we kept these same labels, but we began using different labels placed on one another as a way of creating categories of worth, systems of worth. I'm better than you because you did it wrong, because you gave me the fruit, it was your fault. No, 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 it's your fault because you ate it. For, no, no. And we began blaming 
one another. And when, this, when, when rebellion against our maker is not out of the question, then it's easy that the default would be there will be rebellion against one another and hatred and injustice. Today, we label one another in different ways. Okay, he's the, he's, the, uh, he's the white person. He's the black person. She's the Asian person. She's the Latino person, which is completely fine and right and good. But when we use these labels in order to create a new system of worth and value, this is where we miss out on the heart of God. Again, I'm not even getting into the prophets. We're just talking about the way that we're created here. God made each person in the image of God meant to be loved, meant to be cared for, meant to be cherished. But we have lost the vision of the image of God in one another. If we see the image of God in each other, man, it will be so much harder to gossip about each other. It would be so much harder to talk bad about each other. If you looked at another person and said, that person is made in the image of God. When I look at them, I see a 10 on their forehead. That person is made in the image of God. It will be a lot harder. What if Derek Chauvin saw in George Floyd the image of God? Do you think it would be that easy for him to put his knee on his neck for eight minutes? If we saw the image of God in one another, would it be that easy for North African slaves to be brought into America to prop up an economy and to say we're doing this in order to build our nation? The reason it was justifiable in the minds of the slave owners is because they saw that these Africans were un- could not be educated, could not be trained, were inhumane. What happens when we don't see the image of God in one another is we begin to dehumanize each other, to remove the humanity, to strip the humanity away from them, and to see people as something other than made in the image of God. This is how uh, Sung Chan Ra said it. He said, we will look at each other and, hey, this is what's happened and this has happened often and, and maybe this has happened to you as Asian Americans. Is this used to be what they would say about Asian Americans in America. You will be seen either as a pet or a threat to American society. What does that mean? When, uh, there was a TV show called The View, and a bunch of ladies were on there, and uh, there was a TV show that came out maybe like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago called Heroes, and there was an Asian-American man in that, just an, a normal Asian-American man, wasn't the best looking, wasn't the worst looking. He was an Asian-American made in the image of God, but, but these hostesses on The View said, he's so cute, I just want to take him home, put him in a cage, and stare at him all day. Maybe that's been the way that some of us or our ancestors have been looked at. They're a pet. We want to, oh, they're so cute, they're so lovely, they're so beautiful, let's just have them in our home. Not as a human, but as something to look at. And if the pet narrative doesn't work, then the threat narrative is they're the Bruce Lee, they're the kung fu fighter, they're the one who's going to do harm and damage to us. It's a pet or a threat narrative that often happens, and that is what's happened to the, African, to the African-American communities as well. As long as they're a pet and can be handled and they work for our own good and benefit, if they're an athlete for our favorite football team or basketball team, if they're a singer who does wonderful things, then that's great. They can even t- they can take us to the Super Bowl, we will praise them. But as soon as they become a threat, as soon as he takes a knee during the national anthem, all of a sudden he becomes a threat to us. There's a dehumanization and a demonization that happens when we miss out and fail to see people as made in the image of God. And when sin enters into our world, 
we begin to place our own labels of worth and value on the lives of people based on what we think they ought to be worth, based on some arbitrary standards that we decide to erect based on our flawed and faulty understanding. Do you understand when God created every person in the image of God, Psalm 139, 13 and 14, it says, you and you only, literally, it says, knit me together in my mother's womb. Literally, it's saying, God, you painstakingly took time to put me together, that God made you and every other person exactly the way that he wanted you and me to be made. No mistakes. You, uh, uh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the God of wonders. You make wonderful things. And if that's what you make, then what am I? I am made wonderfully too. That's the song of every person who's ever been born, that God made no mistakes when he made you, when he made the African-Americans a certain skin hue, when he made uh, certain eyes look a certain way certain hair look a certain way, certain uh, people taller, shorter, wider, whatever it is. God made no mistakes in that, made in the image of God. And because of that, I praise you, the psalmist says, because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. So God makes Adam and Eve out of dust, Right? That ought to show, man, guys, if there's anything from dust we come, from dust we return, this ought to give us a deepest level of humility that I was made out of dust. This is who I am. And yet I'm made in the image of God should give us a boldness and a confidence, a humble confidence, a confident humility that can only come from knowing who we are in God. This is who he has made us to be. And when God made us out of dust, what did he do in order to bring life? He breathed life. And so Adam breathed life. Every skit you've ever done on a mission field, right, in creation, it's like this God, like, <laughs> makes this thing, and, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I have life. This is amazing. So do you understand when George Floyd was killed, and this is something that Charlie Dates, a, a, a pastor of Salem ba Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago, he says, you understand how deeply theological then the murder of George Floyd could seem to be. Made in the image of God. The prerogative of God to breathe life into someone and to take life from someone. You give and take away is the prerogative of God only. So what was it when Derek Chauvin was placing his knee upon the neck of George Floyd, what was it that he said? He said, I can't breathe. This is not just a skin issue we hear all the time. This is a sin issue. This is a theological issue that had he seen in that man under his knee the image of God in whom only God has the prerogative to give breath and to take breath away, then it would have been a completely different narrative. But for hundreds of years, it has not been this way. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. But so many times we have not seen that. And we have glossed over it because we chose to choose who we assign value to. The first thing that we see is that God values everyone and looks at them as made imago Dei, but not everybody sees that. The second thing, you know that you get it, that you understand, you know that you've seen it, if you can no longer ignore 
the cries. First generation Adam and Eve, second generation Cain and Abel. Cain takes his brother out into the field because he doesn't like him, because he's jealous of the worship that he offered to God. He takes him out into the field, and in Genesis 4, uh, verse, uh, verse 8, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother made in the image of God and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The murder of his brother made in the image of God does not fail to reach the ear of God, the sight of God. And God calls his brother out and says, Cain, where's your brother? What have you done? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What's that have to do with me? I'm living my life. This dead brother of mine has nothing to do with anything that has to do with my life, not anymore at least. And God says, what have you done? The innocent blood of your brother rises up and the cries have reached the heavens. If you know that every person is made in the image of God, worthy of the blood of the Son of God, I'm, I'm talking to myself, like I, 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 and I, I don't want you to think. This is hard, again, for me because I'm learning. I'm learning what this means, that I need to listen to the cries of my friends. And some of you, some of you may feel like, you know, there ain't no such thing as racism. Like, I understand, and, and, and there's, there's freedom, freedom, right, to, to, to see uh, what you will see. But if I hear people, black people, friends of mine, constantly say one after another, I don't feel safe in America. I don't feel safe driving at night. I don't feel safe. I get scared to death when I see red and blue lights flashing. And, and I don't feel that. Like, I don't feel, I don't get afraid. I don't tell Elijah, Manny, Elise, this is what you need to do if you get pulled over. When they, I, I don't have to have these conversations because they don't drive, obviously, but because they're Asian. We don't have to have these conversations. But some people do. That's their life. I was on a webinar a week and a half ago, and there was this video, and it's where parents, black parents, are telling their children what to do when a police pulls them over. And the kids are, the kids are fighting back saying, but I didn't do anything wrong. Why do I need to do that? They say, just listen, and moms are crying. Just listen. You just, you just need to do whatever the officer says. One father telling his daughter, she must have been like eight years old, about his experience of how he got, uh, he, he got pulled over, he got beat, he, all of these things were happening, and the girl is just crying. And he's like, why are you crying? Like, because this happened to you. And he said, daddy's fine, daddy's fine, daddy's all right. I'm just telling you, like, daddy's all right. Like, these are the conversations that need to be had. And if, if, if generation after generation the story repeats, then, then at least we need to listen. Right? We need to listen to what they have to say. 
brother's blood cries out from the ground and it reaches the heavens. Do you hear the blood of those who have gone before us? And I'm not just talking about black brothers and sisters. We often use that language, but it doesn't matter if they're Christians or not. This is every person has been made in God's image. Brian Stevenson, some of us have been watching the movie Just Mercy about the injustice of the public defense system in certain places in America. Brian Stevenson goes to, he's he's a black man, he goes to Harvard Law School, gets a degree, and and leaves behind a future of, of wealth and prosperity in order to go into the deep south where racism is still a massive elephant that refuses to be addressed. And he says, I want to be a public defender and fight for the rights of those on death row. It's a powerful movie. If you haven't seen it, you ought to. But Brian Stevenson came out, and I watched a a video where he said recently, you know, I thought my credentials would protect me. I'm a Harvard-educated lawyer. I did everything that I was supposed to do in order to fall in line. But I was driving in Atlanta, and I get pulled over by a police, and I tell them who I am, and they say, don't move or we will blow your bleeping brains out. He said, I thought my credentials would protect me, but all they still see is my skin color. We need to hear the stories and hear the cries. And and I know that it might be hard to hear because some of us have experienced similar injustices. And that's, that's, we need to affirm that and we need to hear those things because it's a very complex situation. But what we have done and many of us have done have just ignored the issue to other people and allowed ourselves to stay on the sideline while the blood of people continue to cry out. Here's what sometimes we say is we say, you know what, I'm not racist. I've got friends who are black. I hung out with them. I've invited them to my home. I don't use those negative words to talk about my my other racial friends. I'm not racist. But do you see there's a gap between I'm not racist And God says, he's shown you, O people, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Not to not be racist, but to act justly. That means to right that which is wrong. Not to not be racist, but to fight the racism that's around us. To love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. A lot of times the posture is, I'm going to be an activist because I'm going to show everyone who's not doing it right what they're doing wrong. Or it's, nah, they're all wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm more educated. I've read all the books. It's to walk humbly with our God in order to act in, 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 with acts of mercy and a lifestyle of justice. I remember, I mean, because it was just recently, but... Um, an organization that I work with, SOLA, uh, had Brian Loritz, who's an influential African-American pastor, um, on, a, on a Zoom call. And the first question that was thrown out there is, is uh, Pastor Loritz, what would you say to Asian-American Christians and churches right now? And without missing a beat, he said, we need you. He said, we need you more than ever. We need your voice. We need you to be an ally. We need you to stand with us. 
Because you see, we've been pushed to the margins because maybe a, a part of it is our personality. It's our collective, let's not rock the boat mentality. But some of it, I don't know. I don't know. Again, some of it, I'll just throw this out now. We have experienced injustices as Asian-American people, and again, not all of us are Asian-American, but the majority of us are, and I think this is an important time to speak into this. Many of us have experienced similar injustices, and so we can, in a way, empathize and understand the experiences of our minority brothers and sisters' friends, especially our black friends. But sometimes we have bought into this sense in which we are the model minority. And, and if you think about the history of that term, it came out during the civil rights movement by Anglo people as a way of saying, there's no racism in America. What are you talking about? Look at these Asian people. They came from halfway across the world. They didn't speak the language. They didn't know the customs. They didn't have a home. They're strangers in a strange land. They worked hard. They didn't even speak English. But look at them. They're the most successful people in America. There's no such thing as racism, so don't complain about that, they would say to the African-American community. And because it benefited us to not say anything, maybe that's why we've remained on the sidelines saying, this is just between two, we'll let them fight out this family issue. But what Brian Loritz is pleading with us as a voice for the African-American church he says, we need you. We need your voice. Could we get close enough to our black brothers and sisters and black friends to hear their cries and to hear their stories? Because distance creates suspicion, but proximity breeds empathy. The closer we get, the more we hear, the more we understand, the more we identify, the more we see that this is a gospel issue. If my friend is hurting within my Asian American community, I want to do something about it. And if they're hurting in any community, it ought to move us. If we see that indeed red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight, Jesus loves the little children of the world. I confess that for the better part of my life, I've been okay to just throw my hands up and say, am I my brother's keeper? I've been content to just not listen to the stories, just kind of overlook it, to ignore it and say, you know what, that's someone else's issue. But I think there's a, there's a, a reckoning and, 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 and we're fighting with it right now. I don't know exactly what this looks like. Maybe some of you do, and, 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 and you can help us, us out here, but I don't, I don't want to sit still and, and not do anything when this is our moment in history. Not, I mean, I've often ignored those cries. You know, God has brought three institutions into the world. It's the family it's government, and it's the church that God has given to us in order to propagate the flourishing 
of humanity. And it's in families where we need to talk about issues of racial injustice as a gospel issue for people made in Mago Day. Like, we have to do that. We have to model that. And if we need to call that out in our parents, we've got to do that in a loving and humble and gentle way. Government, we need to, we need to, we need to enact laws and protection, and, 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 and it's working. But at the end of the day, friends, the heart of a human being is not going to be changed by laws and regulations. The church has to act. Like, we have to do something. Like, we can't sit in the sidelines. The, the civil rights movement of, of the African-American movement in, in the 60s was driven by a sense in which it, it, Genesis 1. Yeah, there's Amos, and yeah, there's the prophets that, that Martin Luther King Jr. quoted, but from the outset, it was, we are made in the image of God, not this three-fifth of a person, the 1770-whatever, 87 compromise that said black people are three-fifths of a person for voting rights' sake, not these Jim Crow laws that we say we're separate but equal, but really not equal, not those kinds of things. But, but to stand in there and to say, God, use me and use my church to do something, right? to do something. We don't know maybe what it is, but to, but to do something in order to stand with those whose cries have fallen on deaf ears for such a long time. But thankfully, there was someone who heard the cries, who heard the cries of the oppressed, who heard the cries of the unjust, where the blood of Abel rises up to the heavens and it cries out for vengeance. And there was another pool of blood that Hebrews talks about, the blood of another who was innocently shed. His name is Jesus. The way that he died was the way that he lived, crossing over every kind of boundary in order to minister the imago Dei back to people, to show people in whom that image had seen to be tarnished or lost. It was people who were blind and others looked at them and said, who, why are they such a sinner? Who sinned? Jesus would restore sight to show them that you are in the image of God just as perfectly as anybody else. To go to a Syrophoenician woman, a Canaanite woman who felt like she was nothing but a dog asking for God's blessing and, and, and Jesus said no and she said, but even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He lifted her up as an example of a pinnacle of faith. It was a Samaritan who was used to show the ultimate of love and mercy. It was another Samaritan that Jesus sat with in the heat of the day, though he was tired, to listen to her story, to restore in her a sense of worth and dignity. Jesus crossed these boundaries. He would raise the dead. He would take those who were literally demonized and demon-possessed and set them free to show that this is what I've come to do. If you're a child of God and you know the image of God in your own life and you've seen that in the lives, in your own life, by virtue of what I've done for you, then it is incumbent in your life that you see the image of God in the lives of other people and you uphold its worth and its dignity and you fight for the rights of those, not only abortion rights, but from the womb to the tomb, being pro-life all throughout life in order that you might show the reality of how people who know God treat those who are made in the image of God. And on his final day, Jesus breathed his last. And as he did, 
he called out, it is finished. To telestai in Greek. Literally what it's saying, where you would use this word is in the market. If I were to buy a pair of shoes and I would pay someone, it costs $100 and I would pay 50 they would give me a piece of paper that says, you owe me 50 and give it back to me. And as soon as I take that 50 that I owe and I give it back to them, when it's paid in full, they would write tetelestai on it. It is finished. The payment has been made. When Jesus hung on Calvary's tree, he said the payment has been made for the sins of all mankind to pay the debt, to show the value and the worth, the incalculable worth of every single human being made in the image of God. I shed my blood. What was the cost of the life of George Floyd, of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor? What is the life of your, what is your worth? The worth of your life, far beyond what Forbes might say, far beyond what your portfolio might say. It is the worth of the blood and the life of God himself. Given for the sake of everyone made in the image of God, applied to all who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. If you know this in your heart you know that you understand that everyone is made in the image of God and precious in the sight of God when you begin to stop ignoring the cries of others. We give our praise to God for the gospel that has saved us. But the word of God constantly weds together the worship and the praise of God with the working towards the justice of God so that justice and praise United together would be the embrace of the people of God and we would take that out into the streets so that people would see what it looks like for the people of God to live beyond the walls of the church. That's our calling. Absolutely evangelism and preaching the gospel. But the gospel is not just you get up there. It's what's, come, what's up there is coming here. You remember it's the new heavens and the new earth and we labor for that until the day that we see Jesus face to face. Let's pray together. Let's respond to the word of God um, whatever way that is fit. Maybe like me, um, you've, you feel like you've got to repent. things that I was told as a kid, things that I grew up hearing, movies that I watched, made me think of black people as they're able to handle worse treatment than other people. Justified. Blatant ignorance of the fact that they're made in the image of God. I need to ask God, to purge my heart. Latent or blatant. God, help mercy on me. Help me. Change me from the inside out. Maybe for others, man, you're ahead of the game, further in the journey than I am. I need you to help me and others like me. Pray that you would really be able to move forward. Again, we're not talking about liberal 
movements, not talking about social justice alone, talking about biblical justice. Biblical justice, walk the way of Jesus. Scott Saul said, you walk the way of Jesus, the conservatives will think you're far too liberal. The liberals will think you're far too conservative. It's okay. Some in here will be upset at what I said. I don't care. You know, that's fine. I've got, I've got to, to, to speak on what I feel is biblical conviction here. We can talk, absolutely. Yeah, but let's ask the Lord, help us. Lord, help me. Help me to be able to feel your heart and to walk with you in this. Let's pray together for a few moments. that we need you. I confess that I need you. So much to know and so much to learn. So much to filter. How one person applies these truths that every human is made fearfully, wonderfully in the image of God. How one person applies that will look different from how another person does. Father, help us to not ignore the issues in our world and the elephants in our room and the elephant in the Bible. Lord, show us that when we choose to act, we're not pushing an agenda left or right, a political party. That's not, it's, it's not, it's, it's never been, at least not here, not from this point. Father, our desires, just, we just want to live faithfully to the Word of God and biblical justice to bringing good news to the broken, not only in this life, but also in the life to come, not only in the life to come, but also in this life. So, Father, help us. Help us to learn, help us to grow, and then help us to act. In our communities, in our house churches, in our youth ministry, Lord, help us to wrestle through our prejudices, our biases, our hidden racism, our explicit racism. Help us to know that you've called us to go beyond not being a racist, but you've called us to right the wrongs, to do acts of mercy and compassion, and to do so humbly walking with you in confidence that the only lasting change in this life comes through you and you alone, using your people towards that end. We thank you. We thank you. We love you because you've loved us first. And you love those that we fail to love. 
and you often you love them through us. Help us to be your means. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray.